Marriages can have a startling influence on your life. A family can be a making or breaking point. It was the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates who said, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. (laughs) And I'm sure our ladies would agree that works if you get a bad husband too. But really, is that the best we can hope for, is just happiness or to be a philosopher? I don't think so, not according to the Word of God. I personally believe that God created every family, created it. I personally believe that God finds and selects your mate for you. I believe he wants to bless you because he has a purpose for you and your family. And I want to read in Psalm 68, verse 4, sing to God. Sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God, and I want you to notice this verse closely, each phrase, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. It is a particular interest to me to note that God identifies prosperity and freedom both as being two of the benefits of being in a family. Somehow we've got that all wrong in our language. We talk about getting married and being tied down. That's not what the Bible says. He said he brings out the bound into prosperity by putting you in a family. It is also worthy of note that those who rebel against the biblical definition of family will inevitably, God said in the same verse, find themselves living in what the scriptures call a dry land. Dry land, a desert. Amen. Also would like to read two more verses that I want you to hang on to because... We will get back to them a little later in the message and when I pick this up again the next time I teach this because this will be a several part series that I'm titling Why God Ordained the Family. I want you to read in Ephesians 3, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. And I want to speak This morning from the subject, will the circle be unbroken? Many years ago, and most of you will not even be old enough possibly to to remember this, there was a song that was popular not only in churches, but also in the secular world, and it was entitled, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? I remember that song being sung when I was a child. And what the song conveyed was the idea that a family is a circle of people who love each other. And what the question was being posed by the song is whenever we get to heaven, will we look around and find that some 
who were in that circle are not there because of the bad choices they have made. Will the circle be unbroken? That's the question that I want to ask you today, but not just when you get to heaven. I want to ask, will the circle be unbroken while you're still here? Father, I pray today that you would speak to us, that your word would come forth with precision and clarity and insight, because your word has that extraordinary ability to transform who we are into the image and likeness of the one that you've called us to be, the image of your son. Speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Your family is ordained of God. You might not like to believe that, but your family is ordained of God. You were set in a family by his divine will and in accordance with his master plan for your life. The text that I read to you from Psalms said he sets the solitary in families. Solitary, when you look that word up in the Hebrew, simply means the individual, the one person. There's something about God that he does not like to see people alone. Amen. Doesn't mean that everything that happened in your family was ordained by God because since the enemy has targeted the family the way he has, knowing that God ordains it, then he feels compelled to attack it. He might not always understand the reasons God does something, but he has sense enough to realize that if God did it, that he's against it. Kind of like some people you meet. You have any members in your family like that? If you for it, they are against it. You understand what I mean? Because the enemy has attacked the family, family members in your past may not have always done by you the way they should have. They may have let you down. There are people in this room that have been betrayed by family members. I know that. But nonetheless, God ordained you to be in a family. And because somebody didn't do right by you doesn't mean the family was wrong. More and more, the enemy is causing people to lose sight of this important fact. And the result is they find themselves living in what the scriptures call a dry land. Those who rebel against the concept of family, the Bible said, live in a dry land. That means they're living where nothing can grow. Or if it does grow, it shrivels and dies and doesn't come to maturity. They live for the few drops of water that fall scattered in the course of a year. And the rest of the time, everything is arid, and it's such a struggle to survive. In the 1960s, the norm for the American family was a husband and a wife and 2.2 kids. That was the statistical average. And then something began to happen as the war against family intensified. Families began to be broken. I was raised in a broken home. My dad and mom separated and divorced when I was only four. My mother put me out when I was four. Thank God for a praying grandmother that took me and my two younger brothers in. My wife, Jerry, came from a home where her mom and dad were married for 53 years before her dad, a wonderful man and my good friend, went home to glory. Jerry and I have joined an elite group that has rare status in the world 
in which we live today. She and I were married 51 years in the month of June. You don't see that happen much anymore. Yeah, like I say, hooray for me. Amen. And hooray for her. It's become very rare. And one reason for that is there's just so much confusion about what actually constitutes a family. In the minds of many, many people, family can mean almost anything and include any number of different configurations. To some, it means one man and one woman, or it may mean in today's world, and please forgive me if I speak candidly, but it may mean two men. It may mean two women. It can be with or without children. It might even mean a person and their pet. The sitcom Friends would have had us believe that it would mean a group of young people living together and sharing life, and we could go on and on and on into any number of other configurations as well. Because marriage is considered to be a disposable commodity, and today many people feel that when they get married, it already comes with an expiration date. A family has come more and more to mean a single parent and their kids. It may be grandparents raising their grandchildren. And more and more parental figures have abandoned their offspring and gone on in life without them. I thank God for every praying mother in this house. I thank God for every single person that is doing their best to compensate for a divided home. I thank God for every grandmother because I know a number of grandmothers in this church that are raising their grandchildren. And I salute you and I want to encourage you and you keep doing your best. And I know things are tough and it wasn't meant to be this way. But someday one of those kids might be pastoring a part of this church that you and I are a part of right now. You don't know the good influence that you may be having on them. Make no mistake, there is confusion in the world about family and what family means. And to keep that same confusion from entering the church and also to help unbelievers and believers both know what God expects of us when it comes to family, we need to understand what a family actually is as defined by God. Amen. The reason... There is a reason, I should say, that the enemy attacks the church so vehemently. Family on earth is the closest thing that we see in this world to a reflection of the nature of God himself. When we see a godly family, we actually are looking at a reflection of who God is. Man created, or God created man, and then took from his side a rib and fashioned woman. The Bible said that when he made man, he made man in his image and in his likeness. When God removed the rib, he took a portion of what he was, meaning he took a portion of God's identity as well. That is to say that it takes the completed couple, both man and wife, to actually represent the image of who God is. Not all of him is found in one person. Amen. Or in one gender. I wish I could hear an amen. And when you expand that role. In terms of family. To include children. 
then it begins to resemble the family of heaven. Amen. Satan desperately wants to subvert and twist that reflection of God until the image of him that it portrays no longer looks like him at all and misrepresents who he is completely. In fact, the first success, think about it, that Satan had in introducing sin to the world was by call, and in causing man to sin was by using the influence of family to be the means of their fall. Think about it. Satan approached Eve. Eve was not there, whether you realize this or not, when God created man and gave man the instruction. You see that tree over there? You're not supposed to ever eat of that tree. It was after that that God put man to sleep and created his bride. It was Adam's responsibility, therefore, as priest to his family, to inform his wife of the instruction that God had given him. But instead, when Eve looked at the fruit, she turned to Adam and said, this looks good, let's have a bite. And instead of him doing what God had instructed him to do, he failed in his obligation as a husband and leader in the home and priest to his family. And so then Satan used family relationships to introduce the fall of mankind. More harm has come in families that do not understand God's design for them than we want to take the time to talk about. A family that is not based on godly values can become a destructive force. And that is why Satan's strategy is to subvert the family and rob it of its God-ordained identity and purpose in the earth. The strategy he used then is the same that he uses today. He makes you question, question, whether God has really said what you've been told that he's said. Has God really said you shouldn't eat of the fruit of this tree? Did God really say you shouldn't do this? Has God really said that sex outside of marriage is wrong? Has God really said that abortion is wrong? Has God really said that gay marriage is wrong? Aren't disposable marriages and easy divorce okay? I mean, after all, the Supreme Court has even weighed in to tell us that the biblical definition of a family is no longer acceptable in this modern world. So who should we listen to? I just want to say right now that if God said it, it's forever settled in the heavens. Amen. And you need to understand that. And I'm not here to bash anybody because I have compassion for people that are wounded and hurt in this day and age. And there are many of you that are millennials. That is to say, you're up until 35, 37, I think is when they, they claim up to that age is when the millennial begins another uh, uh, category of uh, groupings of people. But, but many of you raised in the millennial generation have heard terms like gender dysphoria. There are people who do not know exactly what they are supposed to be, whether male or female. You would think, and I'm, 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 not, I'm not being facetious, that they ought to be able to look in the mirror and figure it out. I'm not being facetious, but there's so much confusion that is in the world right now that, that they don't understand. And they don't know if I was actually meant to be this or meant to be that. 
And so along with all of this mess of confusion, there has been a total crumbling of the values of the home or what we identify as a family. And when you have entities like the Supreme Court step in and weigh in on the matter, then you begin to wonder, is the Bible really correct? And maybe we need to change. And maybe we need to adopt to the, uh, the, 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 the definitions of our age and adapt to the times. And people begin to wonder, is that what we should do? And all of us in this room, everybody here, there's not a one of you that, that is accepted. You have somebody connected with you that is going through the very struggle that I'm talking about right now. You've got a relative, you've got a co-worker who openly identifies, though being one gender, they identify as being another. And there is so much confusion, and like you, I have a heart to love people. My heart breaks for people who go through confusion like that. Because I realize that oftentimes it, it, it comes from brokenness and an experience somewhere back there in their past where somebody significant betrayed them. I, not always, but that is often the case. I read of a situation in Australia just the other day where a four-year-old child, four-year-old child, is right now, his, that, his case is being debated in court because his parents have petitioned that they allow them, the court permit, will permit them to take this child in for surgery and remove his male genitalia because at the age of four, he identifies as being a girl. When you are four years of age, you don't know if there's a girl or a boy. You understand what I'm talking about? What I'm saying is there is such a barrage of stuff that's coming into our homes, television, schools, and so forth. And I, I, I realize I'm being plain. Please, please, don't think I'm attacking anybody. I'm not. And if you were one of those that are, are confused about your identity, I'm going to just say it. I love you. And you're welcome here because it's only in the presence of God that you will ever get certain issues in your life straightened out. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. And so when you have situations like this, people look around and they don't know what to expect of family anymore. To truly understand what a family is, you can't go by what's going on in the world around you. You've got to go back to the one who created family. Amen. The Bible said of the whole, the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. It's named by the one who created it. If I build an airplane and I call it an airplane, you don't have any right to come call it a car. Because it was my creation. Amen. And family is a creation of God. And therefore, to understand what it means, we've got to go back to the biblical foundation for the existence of a family. The family was created by God for specific reasons, and every family plays an important role in God's plan of redemption. You might not realize it, but you do. The family was created to be the primary building block of society. And as the home goes, 
It is a true saying, so goes society. Ultimately, the home will not only dictate the direction and health of society, it alone has the power to change it. Not the Supreme Court, not the legislature. I wish some of you could listen to what I'm saying right now. We have, we've prayed our Father which art in Washington, D.C. For, for far too long. And rather it's Democrat or Republican, if that is your Messiah, you're going to be disappointed. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. And I'm old enough that I've seen the cycles come and go. Amen. What I want you to realize is the family is the building block of society. And if a family embraces God's values and the next family embraces God's values and then the next family, the next thing you know, you can change this nation from the grassroots up. But change will not come from the top down. It never does. The book of Genesis contains the pattern for how everything in the earth and in the kingdom of God was meant to function. The word Genesis means the origin or the mode of formation of something. In the book of Genesis, we see God establish not only the origin of the universe, the earth, and mankind. We also see him create the mode of universal principles and laws. The word mode means how something is to be done or how it happens and how it is meant to operate. Genesis tells us the origins of life. And the universe, the Genesis story begins before creation in eternity past when there was no such thing as time and only God was in existence. The very thought boggles the imagination. People think they can figure out God and it may very well be that you're attending a university right now where a smug professor likes to believe he's got it all figured out and understands it. I like to take them to the very first verse of the Bible. That's enough to stump anybody. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was before there was a beginning. After the creation of life on this planet, God then created man to have relationship with him. He gave him his wife and instructed them then to tend the garden he had created. In this, we, th- we see three universal laws. And we see that when these universal laws are embraced... That life is fulfilled. Marriage and gift were a gift and a creation from God. And family and relationship, companionship, made God complete. Man was happy and fulfilled in Eden because of the three things I'm going to mention. Number one, you need a relationship with your heavenly father. Number two, you are not going to be happy alone. It is not good that man be alone. Companionship is an important part of your life. And number three, you need a worthy assignment to which you can dedicate your time and your energy. I wish I could hear somebody say that's right. You see, there's a lot of stuff that we believe that doesn't necessarily have its roots in the Bible. We are told that work is the product of the fall. That's not true. God, who is without sin, is mentioned three different times as working. The word work is literally used in reference to God in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. God without sin was working. Therefore, work is not the product of sin. Amen. 
Here's the problem with sin. Sin makes work hard and not enjoyable. Whenever you are in Christ, you can enjoy your life and your labor. If you have relationship with your heavenly father, you have godly companionship, and you have a worthy assignment to which you can dedicate your energy and your time, you can live a life that is happy and fulfilled beyond your wildest imaginations. I wish somebody in the building would say that's right. Amen. You see, I personally don't believe in retirement. I'm going to probably upset some of you right now because you're waiting to get that gold watch and get out the gate. You just can't wait for it to happen. Somebody asked me the other day, when you're going to retire, I get asked that about, oh, especially on airplanes by these flight crews, you're still doing this. When are you going to retire? And I look at them and I say, I'm not. I don't believe retirement is a biblical concept. Let me explain before you get too upset at me. You need something to do for the rest of your life. You need a worthy assignment into which you can pour your life's energy. If you don't have something worthwhile with which to, devote, uh, to which to devote your time, you're going to be a miserable individual. You've got hands that were made to be used by God in creating something because you were made in his likeness and in his image. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not saying don't retire when you get your years in where you're at. But what you need to do when you retire is refire and start again doing something else. Why am I going to retire when I know more right now than I've ever known in my entire life? I'm better able and positioned to help people than I've ever been in my entire life. It's taken me all this time just to get good. Now that I'm good, I'm going to stop. No. No. Can somebody in the building say, hear what the man is saying? Amen. Sitting around on your sofa, watching soap operas all day long, as the world turns. That's the most miserable life I could possibly ever be made to endure. Forget the flames of hell. Put me in a living room and focus me on a TV watching soap operas. I'm already in misery, amen. That's one of Dante's lowest levels of... Hades. I will never forget, I met a man in South Africa, and he lived around the, the horn, the, the Cape of Good Hope, and the Cape of Storms, rather, in South Africa, Cape, down past Cape Town. And you come to the very tip of the Cape, and then, then it tilts back toward, uh, slightly toward the northeast, and, and uh, south of that, there's nothing but ocean. The Antarctic Ocean is vast and wide, and way out there is Antarctica. And he told me his story. He was a self-made millionaire. He said, I want to tell you what I set my goal to do. I set my goal to retire by the time I was 55. He said, I made it at the age of 54. I made my money. He was a certified public accountant, owned his own firm, 
And he said, I retired. And we bought this place. And he was showing me his house. And it was right on the very edge of the ocean. I mean, there was nothing between him and the ocean. And the southern right whales migrate up from Antarctica. In fact, they're migrating. They're there they're right now. If you were to go to his house, they're in his front yard, which is the ocean. And the humpback whales also migrate up from Antarctica. And they are literally as close. This is not an exaggeration, Tim, as from me to you because the ocean plunges straight down. And he said, man, he said, I bought this place. And, and he said, I got whales jumping and breaching in my front yard. And I've got dolphins that are swimming by every day in my front yard. And he had a place and no one else was around. And, and he said, I go out. I don't even put on a bathing suit. I just go, <laughs> just go. Amen. And he said, I go get abalone right out of the ocean. And I get, I go spear fishing right off the, 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 the shore of my house. And, and he said, I come back. And he said, I sit and I watch the whales breach. And I watch the dolphins go by. And, and he said, I go get abalone and I spear fish. And I watch the whales breach. And I watch the dolphins go by. And I go get some more abalone and, and some more fish. And I watch the whales breach. And I watch, and he he said, I turned to my wife and I said, we're going senile. We better get something to do. You can be living in a paradise, but if you don't have something to do, you're not going to enjoy it. Amen. Amen. The church, on the other hand, was never meant to come between you and God. He created... God was there first, and then man second, and the church third. And in the book of Genesis, you see the divine order. What happens in so many cases with churches that have missed the mark is they actually get between their people and God, and that's not right. Religious denominations do that. Religion does that. That was never God's purpose. The church is supposed to help you bridge that gap and unite in relationship with God. That's the intention of the church. And then to help you find a worthy purpose to which you can dedicate your life's energy and your efforts. Paul helps us understand what a family on earth is supposed to be. By speaking in reference to the family of heaven in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. So now we'll go back there. For this reason I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family in heaven and in earth. The whole family in heaven and in earth. The family in heaven refers to several things. First... There are the different aspects of the person of the one true God who is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then it also refers to the church, which is the extended family of God, the children of God, that have gone on before us that are that great cloud of witnesses. And whenever God looks at the earth and sees his family here, he says that I'm naming my family on earth after the family that exists in heaven. And here is what you need to know in the, about a name. If you name something one thing, it is this and not that. 
If you say it is this particular thing, you define its identity, and in so doing, you capture its purpose. If I say that I'm a doctor, that means I'm not a lawyer. You understand what I'm talking about. And when God defines a family a certain way, he is defining forever what that purpose is as well. And it's interesting because in the Hebrew, the language that God used when he spoke the world into existence, the word most often translated family in your Bible is mia pakal, and it means circle of relatives or kinfolk. Will the circle be unbroken? The old song that some of us were raised with has a lot more significance than many of us ever dared realize because its significance goes all the way back to the original meaning of family in the Bible. And family in the Bible meant circle. A circle is, when you look it up in the dictionary, a line of defense against attack. That's one of its definitions, and it is the term that was used in biblical times when travelers and armies, pioneers, would stop at night and they would try to rest. They would establish a perimeter with sentries in a circle around the camp. And sentries would be placed as a circle of defense against those who were sleeping to ensure their protection. When a village was established and hostile territory in primitive circumstances and times, the man would get together with other members of that village who were also expected to do the same thing and they would volunteer their time to establish a perimeter to defend what was precious that was sleeping on the inside because that's where those who were dear to them were at. And so the very earliest mention of family in the Bible literally comes with a meaning that there are some of us whose responsibility it is to sacrifice ourselves protect, to protect those we love. God knew that danger comes. God knew that at night... The family is vulnerable because they're sleeping. God knew also that strangers might desert you and acquaintances, if they see danger coming, might leave, might abandon you, particularly if the threat is great. But the one person who can't leave is the one who looks back and sees children and a wife that means something to him lying there on in their beds, and he says, I can't abandon what is precious. So today when I ask you, will the circle be unbroken? I'm not just talking about will you someday get to heaven and look around and see that there are family members who matter to you that didn't make it. But I'm asking, will the circle be unbroken right now? Are you willing to stand your ground even though it might cost you injury and harm and even your own life to protect 
those that God has entrusted in your care. Or let me make it really, really plain to you. Are you going to stay together when the going gets tough? When your marriage is having problems and you've been together long enough that the new has worn off, if you understand what I'm saying. And somebody at the desk across the office starts cutting their eyes at you. Hear me? Can I preach to you right now? Are you willing to stand there and say no to danger? Because I've got a family that I'm investing my life in protecting. There was an elderly couple, this is a joke, okay, don't take me serious, who in their old age noticed they were getting more and more forgetful. So they decided to go to the doctor. And the doctor told them, well, at your age, you're going to be forgetting things. What you need to do is start writing things down so you don't forget. And they went home and the old lady told her husband, would you please get me a bowl of ice cream with some whipped cream and a cherry on top? bring it to me. And she said, you might want to write that down like the doctor just said. And the husband said, no, I know I can remember it. You want a bowl of ice cream with a little whipped cream and a cherry on top. And she said, that's right. You sure you don't want to write it down? He said, I don't need to write it down. Bowl of ice cream, whipped cream, cherry on top, babe, I got this handled. So he goes to get the ice cream and he spends an unusually long time in the kitchen. And 30 minutes later, he comes out, comes over to his wife and hands her a plate of eggs and bacon. And she stares at the plate for a moment and then looks at her husband and says, where's the toast? abandon her just because you're getting old just because the new is worn off my wife turned 40 I'm going to trade her in for 220s you're not wired for 220 it'll burn you up that's what's going to happen it will fry your circuits can I preach the way that I feel like preaching here this morning you've got to defend what is precious you've got to defend it You've got to defend it. In the Greek, the language of the New Testament, the word for family is patria. And it comes from the root word pater or father. And it signifies the offspring of a father. Now listen to me. All of you ladies don't be offended by that because a family is called the offspring of a father. You see, he's not really dissing ladies at all. Amen. There are some things that are already understood by nature. You're not going to be having many kids without mama. Come on, help me, man. Guys, you get serious. I was there when my wife gave birth to our two. If you were depending upon me to go through that, to propagate the human species, we're going to be extinct as soon as I die. Because I'm not going through that. When it talks about the offspring of a father, it means that we know mama's going to be there. Dad, what it means is you're supposed to be there too. Can I preach to people that are living in an hour when men are abandoning the family in wholesale numbers? Don't leave your post. 
Don't leave your post. Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Live joyfully with a wife whom you love. How many days? Oh, you're getting too quiet on me now. How many days? All the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun and all the days of vanity, your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Proverbs five eighteen. let your fountain be blessed and rejoice. Now watch this, my fountain, my offspring, everything that issues from me, my business ideas, my finances. Let everything that comes from me be blessed. How? Rejoice with the wife of your youth. God can't bless you if you keep from moving from one person to another. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding. If you are in disposable relationships, you need to ask God to help give you a fresh understanding. Of what family really is and how much it matters to him. The word for family in the Bible thus makes it clear that the biblical concept of family refers to the nuclear family, and I'm done, of one man, a wife, and their children. And this is what is under threat and facing grave danger in these troubled times. And I want to say this I'm not being mean. Because here's what happens. People that are struggling with their sexual identity go to church and get beat up. And they look around and they see Joe who's living with a woman that's not married, he's not married to. They look over here and they see this one and this one's going on and they know about it because they work with him or her. And we in the church have made the mistake of making one thing, oh, that's, that's terrible. This, we kind of look the other way. I I don't believe we ought to do that. I'm not here to beat up on anybody. Amen. It's all out of the will of God. None of it is the plan that God had. Therefore, if you're living with somebody that you're not married to, go get a license. I'll, I'll perform your ceremony. Amen. And if you're not... If you're not committed enough to go get a license, then what are you doing sleeping in the same bed every night? Well, you say, boy, you've been on a tear, Pastor. Yeah, I'm, I'm turning 69. I'm old enough to preach what I know's right now. I can get by with it. And you know I love you. When I preach this, it's not to make anybody feel bad. Marriage isn't between two men. It isn't two women. It's one man, one wife, and their children. Don't let anybody out there tell you you've got to live with that struggle on the inside the rest of your life. God can help you form your identity. God can help show you who you are. Amen. God had created you in his likeness and in his image to reflect him and to bring him glory. Amen. 